Okay. okay, friends, the story begins. I stop talking about Josh now. <laughs> He's in the room. Okay. <laughs> so we are on chapter 38, page 432. This is like a new Parsha. Bit of a new section here. Although it, 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 it kind of flows from chapter 37. In chapters really 35 through 37, which we've spent, I guess, several months on, there's a bit of a paradigm shift. If we were to sum up all three chapters that we've been learning in the past, 35 through 37, if we were to sum those up with one word, what is the one word you would choose? Act. Exactly what I was thinking. Action, mm -hmm. right? Get her done. That's that's the that's the bottom line. Get her done. Because as strong as our passion is for God, or as strong as our intellectual appreciation is for God, it's limited to our own selves. It's limited to our own experience. It's any relationship which is defined by by um, experiences, solely by experiences. I mean, that's not to say that experiences aren't important, but if it's defined solely by the participant's experience, either intellectually or emotionally, the relationship is only as strong as the emotions or only as strong as the appreciation, right? It's, uh, it's a, a chain is as strong as its weakest link. But if it's based on what God wants from me, his will, doing his mitzvahs, that's much stronger. That was basically the essence of these chapters. And we explained how doing the mitzvahs, actually getting the job done, incorporates God's will in this world. It really facilitates God's vision for humanity. In other words, our purpose in coming down to this world is not to necessarily or not to solely uh, grow spiritually, because in heaven, you'd be a lot more spiritual. But it's to actually have an impact. Now, spiritual growth is important. We'll talk about that soon. But the bottom line is get her done. Right? We got to get the job done. That's what it all boils down to. The world of action. Because an action is what brings God's will into the physical world. When you do a mitzvah, when you give charity, when you put on filler or any mitzvah. So now God becomes part of the animal soul. He rests within the animal soul. He rests within the physical body. He rests within the material items in which we're fulfilling that mitzvah with. Right? Now it's this um, computer or cell phone which we're using. The pages in the book we're using, all these physical things become a, a tool to house God. Bottom line is action. Based on all of this, let's take a look at the beginning of our chapter, 432. Um, 432, the top bold paragraph. Now, following everything that has been written above in chapter 37... Over here, we're going to see a beautiful blend between halacha, Jewish law, and Kabbalah and mysticism. An incredible blend, a seamless blend between the two. Following everything that has been written above in chapter 37, we can further appreciate the ruling of Jewish laws prescribed in the Talmud and halachic codes that meditation does not count as recitation. Thinking about the prayers and reading the prayers are not the same thing, according to Jewish law. I'm going to read the next paragraph, which means that if you read the Shema, for example, the Shema is an example, but it's applicable to other things as well. If you read the Shema prayer only in your thoughts and didn't articulate the words with your mouth, even though you did so with all your powers of concentration, Nevertheless, he did not fulfill the basic requirement of the commandment to read the Shema. You have to go back and read it again, enunciating the words. 
So if I were to have all the mystical intentions and all the passion and the love, and but I only thought it, I didn't articulate it with my mouth. I didn't verbally, verbally articulate it. I just felt it. That's not sufficient. Why not? Why is that not enough? We talked about this before, something that uh, you, you have to do all prayers with mouthing it. I, but I don't remember what the explanation was for that. Right, right. So, so spot on. Based on, on chapter 37, it all boils down to action, bringing God into the material world. It makes sense why the relationship shouldn't just be meditational or spiritual, where it has to be verbal. We have to physically articulate the world, the words, so it becomes part of our physical selves. Right? Take a look down on the bottom of 432, all the way in the bottom. If you articulate the words. But if you articulate the words of the Shema prayer, right? This is the opposite situation. The first situation is you had all the intentions and the passion of the love, but you didn't actually say it. What if you say it? But you don't have the passion, you don't have the feeling, you don't have the what we call kavana, right? If you articulated the words of the Shema or prayer, though you were not attentive, attentive to what you were saying, you did fulfill the basic requirement of the mitzvah, at least after the fact. Ideally, you should have intention. Ideally, it should be meaningful. You don't need to go back and repeat the text. So if I have all the intentions of the world, the passion, the love, the meditation, but I don't actually say the words, it doesn't work. But if I get her done type of thing, I say the words, but I don't have the passion. I don't have the attentiveness, which we call in Hebrew kavana, the intention. I'm good. I got the job done. What's the reason? Because what is our purpose here? Right? What is the bottom line? What is the goal? The goal is not spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a tool. But the goal is, is spiritual. Is what? The physicality. Yes, exactly. The impact on the physical world. The impact on the physical world. Think about it this way. Imagine a Chabad rabbi goes out to a town, moves out to the middle of nowhere, and he's ready to turn over the world, shake him up, Right? Chabad is coming to Tracy, to Pleasanton, wherever they're going, and they're ready to transform this world, get it ready for Mashiach, get it ready to house the divine. But the Shliach is so focused on their own spiritual growth and spends hours and hours a day praying. There's no time to run a summer camp. There's no time to run services. There's no time to hang up other people's mezuzahs. But he's busy spiritually growing, right? It doesn't work. <laughs> he's not doing his job. And it's the same thing with our souls. What? He should be in a yeshiva. He should be in a yeshiva, exactly. He had yeshiva for that. He had 10 years of his life before to, 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 um, to do that. Now, that doesn't mean he should not spiritually grow at all. What is his job, right? That's the bottom line. And it's the same thing with our own souls. Our own souls come to this world, and if it's just going to meditate, but not going to articulate, enunciate, it's not doing the job, right? The famous story, I've mentioned this several times, but I absolutely love this story. Rabbi Gordon, who was a shliach in New Jersey, he was a hospital chaplain. He would go around from visiting the Jewish patients and he asked the fellow Jew, would you like the opportunity to put on tefillin? It's a special mitzvah. And he says, Rabbi, no, thank you. I'm Jewish in my heart. And he says, that's why you keep going to the, you keep having to go back to the cardiologist. It's in your heart. <laughs> you got, it's not enough to stay in our heart. We got to spread it out to the whole body to articulate it. This goes so far as to say that there was actually a chassid, chassidic Jew, who used to translate his prayers into Yiddish as he was praying, right? We like to translate it into English, but he liked to translate it 
into Yiddish. He found it to be very meaningful. And he asked the rabbi and a fellow uh, colleague of his, is it appropriate that I'm verbally translating the words into Yiddish or does that constitute an interruption? Because there's certain parts of prayer where we're not supposed to verbally interrupt as to not lose the momentum of prayer. So he said, um, Rabbi, is this considered to be an interruption if I'm translating my prayers into Yiddish? So he says to him, I don't understand. You know Hebrew. Why would you translate into Yiddish? He says, yeah, I know Hebrew, but my animal soul speaks Yiddish. Mm -hmm. The whole purpose of prayer, the whole purpose of spirituality is to have an impact on the physical world. Is to have an impact on the physical selves, our own personal world and the world at large as well. Which means if I meditate in prayer, but don't say the words, I'm going to feel good about my relationship with God, but I'm not gonna get the job done. I'm not gonna actually accomplish what I needed to accomplish. I have a question. Yeah. It is an expression, an empty vessel makes the most noise. Right. And saying it very loud, you are making yourself an empty vessel. Saying it appropriately, good. And saying it just that you're audible and that it serves its purpose, but making it so loud that it's actually making yourself an empty vessel. So th that is a good question. It's actually a very good question. Um, it's actually discussed in in the Talmud and as well as other places in Jewish law, um, it, it kind of depends on which parts of prayer. Most prayers are not supposed to be louder than the chazan mm -hmm. and the one leading the services. It's our appropriate, it's required to audibly articulate the words. Um, certain prayers are more audible than others. The Shema prayer, for example, we recite specifically out loud. So it's audible to others. Um, doesn't mean we have to yell it. The Amida prayer, we recite it only so we can hear it, but it still has to be audible. It still has to be articulated. But then there's certain prayers like answering the um, Amen, Yeheshme Rabbah to Kaddish. Yeah. Where the Talmud says you have to recite it with all of your passion and your energy and everything. Um, obviously within the social norms, I guess, to some degree, but... But, <laughs> but supporting somebody else doing Kaddish, so you're supporting them. So then it's not about you, it's about the other person. Mm, there we go. I like so that. That you can do loud. But I mean, it's I like just... it. Okay, I like it. I like it. Great insight. Great insight. You, you know, the power of reciting Amen to Kaddish, the Talmud says that when a person, there's two different areas in the Talmud that talks about this, at least two. It says anybody, in one area of the Talmud, it says anybody who recites Amen Yeheshme Rabbah to the Kaddish, it can destroy heavenly decrees, very harsh heavenly decrees. It's very powerful. Another area in Talmud, it says that anybody who recites that with all their passion and everything, God regrets exile. He says, wow, <laughs> it gives God so much nachas. What did I put these people in exile for? <laughs> um now, the reason though why it's important, so it, there, there are, there is, Sharon, just to, 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 to touch on your point, there is significance to how loud one should or shouldn't be. And the truth is the focus isn't solely on, on the decibel level. The decibel level. There is should it, be passion, well, there should be energy and effort. It doesn't necessarily have to be loud, but it should be physical, it should be real that somebody can actually hear you and be join you and be proud of you. Yeah, or, definitely. So on the other hand, you also don't want to distract the others. So, I mean, I guess part of it, it kind of depends on the, on the look, if, if you go to a, a yeshiva, it's you loud. go to 770, you know, the prayers aren't quiet. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly a library there, despite all the books, you know? Say enthusiasm, yeah. right? Exactly, exactly. God, there's got to be a, a, some credit for getting excited about it. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. And we'll talk about the excitement, the kavana, the passion. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the reason why the passion, or sorry, the reason why the action is so important to the point that if you had passion without action, it's pretty much meaningless. Whereas if you had action, but lacked passion, you got the job done. The reason is because, um, let's take a look on the bottom of 433. All the way on the bottom, the last bold paragraph, the reason for this legal emphasis on speech and the emphasis on thought, on kavana, is because the soul itself does not require fixing at all, as we said earlier in chapter 37. The soul didn't come down to this world to fix itself. It came down to inspire, to impact, right? The soul itself does not require fixing at all through mitzvahs. Rather, there were the purpose of mitzvah observance is to pull down God's light in order to fix the energizing animal soul in the body. Next page, 434. And therefore, it's crucial that the mitzvah involves the animal soul in the body. We can't involve, right, through the actual words spoken by the soul using the five organs of speech, which are the throat, lips, palate, tongue, and teeth. We cannot impact the animal soul unless we engage it physically. In other words, if we're meditating, if we're feeling the love, inspiration, it's going to be the divine soul. But the divine soul is already in love with God. So now it's even more in love with God, which is beautiful, but it's not the purpose has to right it's not enough that we are all in love with god we have to get everyone else to be in love with god right and it's the same thing with the divine soul it's not enough for it to be in love with god it has to impact the animal soul as well and that's through so physically articulate what i was going to say back to your example um of the uh, of the rabbi who decided to translate the amida into uh, aramaic um uh it, it from from an action standpoint having uh, you know uh uttering the prayer in hebrew would have been an action right right, right so right. aramaic does i mean i'm kind of missing right it, it's the, not a perfect parallel in that example it's not the best analogy granted okay, right. um it, it would have been more meaningful for the animal soul if, if he translated it in his in his mother language you're right granted in the um Early part of the Tanya, they beat up the animal soul soul pretty well. <laughs> he, the rabbi, the Rebbe beats up the animal soul pretty well. And then all of a sudden they say, eh, the energizing animal soul. I know that um, maybe what was it, eight chapters ago, we did spend a lot of time on the animal soul and the, how it's necessary. But in the beginning, it, it's like, ah, it's bad. Ah, makes you do all kinds of bad things. And then in so about the middle, it's saying, yeah, but it's necessary. And now it's the energizing. It's getting now it's like the purpose as we go. So, this so it's is, kind of moved from an adversarial kind of uh, attachment to a companion attachment. Yeah, we, you know what? We've gone in our Tanya journey, we've gone through an incredible transition. Because we have this force within us, which is making us do all sorts of things. So we first learn how to control it, how to tame it, how to stop it, how to externalize it from ourselves. Now that we've mastered that, which is the first part of Tanya, we get to this part of Tanya where we learn that we can actually impact it and that actually our goal is to impact it. But it, it's hard to impact it if I think I am it. Does that make sense? Hmm. Now that I've learned the first part of Tanya and I realize there's so much more to me than the animal soul, I have this incredible resource that I, uh, um, in order to impact the animal soul. Definitely. So th there definitely has been this transition. Most definitely. And, and really what so we've shown ourselves here, that if, if I failed at the beginning section of Tanya, which is developing passion for God and controlling my animal, 
I can at least act with my animal. I can at least get it to do something good. <laughs> Which is the bottom line, right? That's the bottom line. Think, think about it this way. Imagine I wake up early morning and I want my freezing cold Diet Coke, right? I just, I really want my freezing cold Diet Coke. I want it. So I don't have it though. So Javi understands my passion for Diet Coke, my obsession with that for Diet Coke. And she says, look, there's no Diet Coke, but, and she starts describing the Diet Coke sensation, taking it out of the freezer, just above the freezing point. It's so cold. Open up the can, you hear that. Uh, what's the, how do we describe that sound? Snap. Mm. The snap, there we go. Right, the steam comes up, you drink it, you feel that shock from the fizz, that sugar rush, that caffeine rush, and she starts describing the sensation. Right? So that's like the passion, the meditation, the interest. But am I ha but did I get my Diet Coke? Nope. No, right? So now my neighbor is overhearing and says, oh, Josh wants a Diet Coke. I don't know why that stuff is gross, but here, and he hands me a freezing cold Diet Coke that he doesn't even care about, right? So one person described, imagine my relationship to Diet Coke, theoretically, is God's relationship, God's desire for mitzvahs, right? Imagine you're passionate about the mitzvahs. You describe and you start experiencing this meditation of how beautiful the mitzvahs are, how beautiful the Diet Coke is. The other person doesn't appreciate Diet Coke, doesn't want Diet Coke, but here you go, take a Diet Coke. They did the mitzvah, they got the job done. I got my Diet Coke. So that's kind of where we're going here. Ideally, we should have passion and action together. If we can't, and there are times in our life where we can't, whether it be large segments of our life or whether it be just dull moments of our life where we're just not feeling it. Well, guess what? Even if we're not feeling it, even if we're not having a hard time feeling Jewish, we can still behave Jewish. We could still fulfill our purpose of existence. And that's why it's so important that even if I'm not feeling the power of prayer, the passion, I still need to articulate the words. Because the bottom line is the physical impact. And by the way, this was the exact mistake. The spies. That Moshe sent to Israel. Right, we spoke about this in JLI actually about a week ago. What is the mistake of the spies? Moses sends 12 spies to scout out the land of Israel to help the Jews understand the best point of entry. And they're there to give facts. This is how you go in, this is what's going on. But they come back with opinions and they persuade in virtually the entire Jewish nation that God isn't gonna be able to take us and we can't go. We're not going to Israel. Which is pretty crazy, because why did God take us out of Egypt? <laughs> take, so we could go to Israel. Why did he put us in Egypt? Why did he give, make a chosen nation? The whole point was to get to Israel. And they say, yeah, it's not going to happen. Why? Because in Israel, they're going to have to work for a living. They're going to have to work the land. They're going to have to plant. They're going to have to sow. They're going to have to labor because they're going to have to do mitzvahs and mitzvahs equals labor. When they're in the desert, they don't have to labor. They sit in the clouds of glory. They relish in spirituality. And all their material needs are taken care of with the mana and the, wa and the water from the, from the well of Miriam and the clouds of glory and everything. And, and they're comfortable. They made this exact mistake. They essentially meditated on the Shema, but didn't articulate it. <laughs> Same idea. They saw spirituality as an end, not a means to an end. A question. Yeah. Um, are you suggesting that the motivation for the spies having returned with their opinions 
was that they didn't want to have to work the land and or, or that, that that's what the Jewish people may have been thinking, but it, was that really considered to be the motivation for the spies returning with those opinions? Yeah, they, they were they were stuck in their self-righteousness. Their, their self-righteousness, it was, it might, I don't even know if it was their animal souls, maybe it was, but their, their self-righteousness got the best of them. What about being resistant to change? It, I mean, that, that definitely is part of it. There's definitely that psychological um, element to it. But, but the reason why they were, the reason for their resistance to, to change is the alternative change wasn't as comfortable. Yeah, so you know they they, were, they, they they wanted the spirit. What? No, they they were resistant to the change, and it's hard to change, and they didn't want to put the energy in. So it wasn't fear. I mean, I, I, I think it is. I think it, I think it's it is a uh, to some degree it is a fear of change. Um, you know, to some degree it definitely is a fear of change. But the reason, but why did they fear that change? You have people that want change, you know, people that were, people that are, you know, when they were in Egypt, they wanted change. At least a lot of them did. Maybe some of them didn't. It used to. Right? They, want, they wanted to get out of Egypt. They didn't want to get out of the desert because it was comfortable. Mm. It was spiritually comfortable. Besides materially comfortable, it was spiritually comfortable. But our, go our job is not to be spiritual. Our job is to be impactful, which means this Meditating on the Shema without reciting it is exactly what the spies, essentially what the spies' philosophy was. Let's be spiritual. And God was here's, furious. What? Here's a, uh, well, go on with your thought. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so here's another, another thought that if you just meditate, but you don't act, you're abusing your animal soul because you're giving it no guidance. You're ignoring it. And, oh, I like being here. I like the meditation. I'm not even going to deal with it. And uh, it's going to be lost and abused if you don't actually act and teach and control it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's a valid thought, but it just. There, there, you know what? This is very interesting. There's a conservative temple in New York, and I forgot the name. It's in Manhattan. It's huge. And about a year ago, the rabbi was, was giving his uh, Yom Kippur address. And I listened to his, his address, which the truth is, in hindsight, I don't know if it's appropriate to listen to, given that it was recorded. But his, but, and so in hindsight, I don't know, but, but his address was fascinating. He tells the story of the Lubavitcher Rebbe sending Shluchim, Chabad Shluchim on campus. The very first, the very first Chabad Shluchim that the Rebbe sent out were campus Shluchim. That's kind of where it all started. Start with the youth. And he says, those youth didn't stand a chance of assimilating with these Chabad rabbis. And he says, you know why? because these rabbis got them to do mitzvahs. Jewish continuity requires mitzvahs, requires action, not just spirituality, not just the feeling. And he says to me, he says, my education was all about feeling. This is what he says. My education was all about feeling. Whether it's, we have to be proud Jews because there was a Holocaust, which was the generation prior to his, he says, our youth don't care about that. They're beyond, they're past that. It boils down to action. And he says, I'm, I'm just gonna say it. This is what he says. He has a very, he had, you could tell he has a very difficult time saying it. He says, I'm gonna say it. We gotta do mitzvahs. I said it, that's what he says. He says, I said it, <laughs> we gotta do mitzvahs. This is in a, a conservative congregation. And he says, it's time we realize that mitzvahs, Jewish actions, are not reserved for Orthodox. 
are not reserved for the Orthodox. That's what he says. Because if we're going to have Jewish continuity, Judaism has to be part of our everyday physical lives. This is what he's telling to thousands of people in his congregation and Yom Kippur. Because that's the bottom line. The spirit, just the spirituality. If we just have spirituality, we're not going. It's not going to necessarily equal continuity. Continuity requires action. It's a must. Action's the bottom line. With just spirituality, if we just want to be spiritual, we're falling into the traps that the spies fell into. And, and, and I actually, I want to go back to what you mentioned, Sharon, about fear of change. This is something we kind of, you know, we're comfortable with, with, with feeling spiritual. To make yeah. a change, to start doing something more material, to commit to a mitzvah, to commit to a new mitzvah is scary. There is a fear of change in our own lives. We all experience it. We're all going to experience it on some level. But it, it, the impact it does to bring Mashiach, to bring God's presence to our own personal world, to the world at large, is incredible. Now, having said that, where are we? Okay, having said that, that doesn't mean, right? Let me, let me put it this way. If we were to stop the class, if we were to cut it short right here, what yep. would we walk out with? What? what now, first we... of all, not everybody finished their Diet Coke, so we're, not, we're far from done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> if we were to cut it short right here, what we would walk away with is passion is nice, but we need action. You don't need passion. It's nice. Passion's a nice thing to have. Action is a requirement. But the truth is, Although you fulfilled your purpose, at least part of your purpose, your obligation, you fulfilled the technical mitzvah and the letter of the law just by action with no passion, passion is still a requirement. And that's what this next section of the chapter is going to elaborate on. Take a look on 434, the uh, second to last bold paragraph right under section two. See it? Starts with nevertheless. Nevertheless, all the above em emphasis on the practical component of a mitzvah doesn't mean that attentive, attentiveness, am I pronouncing this right? Attentiveness, there we go, is unimportant. We're not discounting kavana, attentiveness or intention. For it has been said, and this is a great line, you're gonna to wanna to remember this. Prayer or other blessings without attentiveness, without kavana, are like a body without a soul. When we do a mitzvah, we're doing the body. When we meditate or when we have passion or kavana, when we mean well, <laughs> we just have the soul without a body, right? We need a body and a soul to truly be alive. If we really want our mitzvahs to be alive, we need our bodies and our souls we need both well it elevates it it elevates the body and the soul the, each one the one that's the, the the body does the, but the soul elevates it yes so it's basic a mitzvah but it can become a wonderful mitzvah with everything yes. exactly exactly in other words it's not to say that if you don't have the soul you're like a corpse and your mitzvah is meaningless we're not saying that it's the level, right? It's, it's how far you've taken it. Exactly. It means there's a passion there. Let's take a look. I want to show you one more, par one more paragraph here. In the bottom of 434, and then we'll jump to 435. Last two lines on 434. Which means that just as all the created beings in this world have a body and a soul, mm -hmm. each having on 435, each having their own separate sources of life energy from God, so to the practical deed of a mitzvah and its kavana, each had their own life energy. However, the life energy of the body is far less than the life energy of the soul. 
which means if you have a mitzvah with no kavana, with no intention, with no attentiveness, we'll, we'll discuss what that means in a minute. It's not as meaningful, right? Yeah. If, in other words, if you have to do something for your, if you, if you get, to, there's a difference between having to do something for your spouse or getting to do something for your spouse, right? In either situation, you fulfilled your spouse's will. But when you get to do something for your spouse with that attitude, the, the relationship is more meaningful. And it's the same in our relationship with God. When there's a body and soul, it means I don't just have to do it. I get to do it. It's a lot more meaningful. That's not to say that it's meaningless without the soul. And actually, we'll see later in two chapters from now, in chapter 40, he gives a great analogy, quoting from the Zohar. And this is similar to, to Sharon, to what you were saying, that it, that it elevates it. The Zohar says that a mitzvah is like the body of a bird, whereas the love and reverence, the attentiveness, the passion, the feeling are like wings, right? Yeah. So you have the mitzvah, which is the body itself, and then you have the, the kavana, the passion, the attentiveness, which are like wings, because those help the mitzvah soar up, gives it more meaning. It kind of takes flight spiritually. Now, what would happen if you were to have a bird with no wings? God forbid its wings were amputated, right? What would happen? It's a kosher bird, right? You take that bird to your local shelchet and you have dinner for Friday. You have your Friday night dinner. It's kosher. In other words, a mitzvah with no passion. It's not ideal, but it's kosher. What if you have wings with no bird? Right? There's no heart. What happens if you have chicken? What? There's no heart. It's not alive. It's exactly. Dead. Unless it's like a Super Bowl party, right? Then you have all the wings. <laughs> Horny joke. But <laughs> what? Red Bull gives you wings. Sorry, you haven't yeah, seen exactly. it. Exactly. So if you have wings with no bird, it's not kosher, right? It's not a kosher piece of meat. It doesn't, it's not functional. If I have love in my relationship with God, and the truth is in any relationship, and I experience reverence, and I have all the feelings, the spirituality, but I don't have the action. I'm missing something integral here. If I have the action though, and I'm lacking the love, okay. Ideally, we want both. And that's why we're saying over here, that a blessing or a prayer or an action that lacks kavana, lacks attentiveness, it's like that body without the soul. It's lacking passion, but it's still valuable. Now, why is passion so important? In other words, if the bottom line is action, if the bottom line is get or done, right? The essence of Judaism is get the job done. Judaism is, is not a faith-based relationship. I'll tell you how many times as a Chabad rabbi, and I'm sure any Chabad rabbi can relay this experience, where you meet a fellow Jew and you say, hey, would you like to put on tefillin? Rabbi, I don't believe. Well, I didn't ask you what your ideology is. <laughs> You're Jewish. I asked you if you wanted to put on tefillin. <laughs> I'm not asking you to believe. <laughs> right? Because the bottom line, get it done. And this, this is what it says actually in Pirkei Avot. In Pirkei Avot, the ethics of our fathers, chapter one. Lo hamidrash ikar The explanations are not the main thing. Right, that's the compliment, but the main thing is get her done. Like that story that we told last week of that uh, that cult leader, that Jewish cult leader. He did the action, and his heart melted. If now, having said that, why is act, why is passion important then? Because passion is important. We have a whole book 
dedicated to passion called Tanya. <laughs> so there is, there obviously is importance to it, right? But what, why is it important? Okay. It's going to get a little bit tricky here, but we're going to hold on tight. So buckle your seatbelts and we'll do our best. Let's jump to page 438. I'm going to skip a little bit. This is the next few chapters, by the way, are going to be a little bit esoteric, a little bit difficult. And we'll buckle down and do our best to make meaning of it. The bottom of 438 in the bold paragraph, nevertheless, despite the fact that everything in this world suffers from the same hester panim of klipas noga. Okay, what does that mean? The world suffers from God hiding himself, right? Mm -hmm. What hides God? Klipa. God is, there's a beautiful song by Avram Fried called Don't Hide From Me. You gotta check it out on YouTube after, after this class. That's like a Hasidic lesson. In the future, you can either listen to that song or you could come to Tanya class, whichever works, whichever fits your convenience. <laughs> it's a great song called Don't Hide From Me. You have to listen to the lyrics. So God is hiding himself, right? And it takes a big toll on our world as we've been describing uh, throughout the Tanya. The light, which is the flow of energy that God shines through the filter of this world to provide it with energy is not the same in all recipients. And I'll explain in a minute because it differs in the extent of more diminishment, tzimtzumim, in some cases, and more manifestation in others. In other words, God hides from this world, but how much does he hide from this world? Well, that depends on where you are and who you are, right? On and, and when you are, <laughs> in all situations, on Shabbos, He's not going to hide as much. And if you're studying Torah and praying, he's not going to hide as much. But if we're doing things that are antithetical to, God, to the divine will, he's going to hide a lot more. So God is hidden in this world. That's a fact. How hidden? How revealed? How accessible? That's going to vary. That's going to vary from situation to situation, from time to place, to individual, to spiritual geographical location, if you will. In heaven, he's a lot less hidden, but still some hid, hidden to some degree, depending on what level of heaven. Now, where in, in, from the soul's perspective, if you were to ask the soul, hey, is God hidden? What would the soul answer? He would say yes, but I'm lucky that I could still perceive him to some degree. But if you were to ask the body, hey, is God hidden? What would his answer be? Right? The body would say, what God? What are you talking about? <laughs> God is a very, very hidden from the body. Take a look on 439. Um, the second bold paragraph. Um, right under where it says fourth of Nisan. For in the soulless physical body, as well as completely motionless objects such as rocks and dust, and same thing with the metaphor of a body, a passionless mitzvah, right? There's a very diminished light, unparalleled, in fact, in the level of tzimtzumim, and how unparalleled in how much God hides himself. And the energy there is so minuscule that these objects do not even have the power of vegetative growth present in the plant kingdom. While in the plant kingdom, divine light is not greatly as, as diminished. There are four classes of existence. There is inanimacy, dirt, stones, right? Bricks, Diet Coke cans. You all saw that coming, come on. <laughs> the second class of existence is vegetative existence, plants, trees, vegetables, fruit. As we go up, we get less interesting. No, okay. <laughs> then we have a higher level uh, class of existence, animal life, right? An animal has a lot more life to it than a plant. It doesn't just grow, it 
it has instincts, it moves, it, it has feelings to some degree. And then on top of it all is, is human beings where we're not in, we're not, we're don't only exist like the lowest of levels. We don't only grow like the vegetative level. We don't only move and feel and, and have um, instincts like animals, but we actually have intellect. We can actually speak. We can actually communicate with one another on a very deep and intimate level, right? Try going out and, and take your dog for a walk and try having a conversation as to who should be president of the United States or who shouldn't be. It's gonna be a very boring conversation. <laughs> Even if you love your dog, it's, it's, it's not gonna be the same as going out with a friend, right? That's not to say that an animal can't keep you company and the, the benefits of, of, and, and of animals, but there are different levels of creation and these different levels reflect how much divine light is present. So a rock doesn't move. It's totally inanimate. A vegetable, which does grow, it won't talk back to you, right? If it does, don't tell me, because I don't want to know. But a vegetable won't. <laughs> I feel like Jackie Mason sometimes here. He says, I crack myself up more than I crack you up. That's when he, when he gets, no, when nobody laughs, he gets, that's like his go-to line. Um, a vegetable grows more than a rock would, has more life to it, because it has more divine light to it. There's more of a divine revelation. The more divine revelation, the more functional the more physically functional it is. In other words, physical functionality is a reflection of spiritual functionality. And the reason why I say this is what is a body compared to a soul? A soul has a lot more divine life than a body would. And the reason is because although to the soul and to the body, God is hidden, God is still gonna be more revealed to the soul. Let's take a look on 440. This is the last paragraph we're gonna, our second to last paragraph we're gonna read. It's a little bit of a long one. Um, are we still on the boat here? We're still in the ark? Yeah. We're all good? Uh, I just wanna ask you something. Why do they have to be separated in this chapter? Why are we all integrated? We all, it's all about action. It's all about firing the light. It's all about understanding and getting to the point of doing and going through the process, the right process of bringing yourself, making yourself ready for doing the action. And now they're separating it out. It's like going back. It's like separating everything, going back to basics. Right. Like, Undoing everything we just said, basically. Yeah, because basically the first Excellent whole question is bringing together and being and living together and being one. And now Excellent you're going to break it apart. And it's making this one bad and that one bad and, and not making it whole. Excellent question. Excellent question. Okay, so your question, Sharon, it, it, it really is a brilliant question because it boils down to, number one, how do we define unity? But number two, what is the proper balance between spirituality and action? Because the difference be, with action, by the way, we're all united. When it comes to our action relationship to God, we're all the same. When it comes to our spiritual relationship to God, we're all different. In other words, let's say every morning, each all of us put a coin in the charity box, right? Mm -hmm. We all do that mitzvah. Well, let's say we all articulated the words of prayer. We all said the prayers. So on an action level, we're all the same. We all did the same thing, right? Moses articulated the prayers. I articulated the prayers. You articulated the prayers. So we're all the same. Moses put on Philin, I put on Philin. What's the difference between me and Moses? Nothing. Right? And that's kind of where Korach was coming from, by the way. Right? Why the hierarchy? We're all the same. On a spiritual level, though, we're all going to be different. We're all going to have different abilities to meditate. We're going to have different levels of passion. We're going to have different levels of appreciation. The spiritual side of Judaism is going to vary from person to person. And, and, and so the question is, if action is the main thing and action is unifying, mm -hmm. and that's exactly, and, and spirituality essentially is, is divisive, 
why focus on spirituality at all? And, and the exact, and, and this was what Korach wanted to do. Korach, the story of Korach, Moses's evil cousin, crazy cousin, came right after the story of the spies. He wanted, he had an exact opposite reaction of the spies. The spies overly focused on spirituality. So Korach said, let's just focus on action. And when it comes to action, we're all the same. But the bottom line is we can't take either extreme. There is no extremes in life for the most part. There are some areas in life where we need to be extreme, but actually Maimonides writes in his code of Jewish law, he has a whole section where he discusses the psychology of human dispositions. It's interesting that that's part of Jewish law, which is a whole discussion for itself. But Maimonides says a person should not be an extremist. Right, Korach took it to an extreme and said, we have to just focus on action. We're all the same. The spies took it to the opposite extreme. Let's focus on spirituality because that's what's comfortable. And we have to just find that middle ground. What is the middle ground between spirituality and action? Why is spirituality even important? And by spirituality, I mean meditation. I mean the passion. I mean the love the reverence, appreciation, all the spiritual feelings we're going to experience in our relationship with God other than the action. To give the impetus, to give the light, to give the energy to do the action. So right. we not all be on a spectrum and at a different time in our lives at every single point. And when we realize where we are, work towards the next thing. So, I mean, if there's not a, like a person who's just that and who's just that, or there's not an event that's just that, you have to work at it to make it elevated to the optimum. Right, right. In other words, the price of when Judaism becoming meaningful comes with a price. <laughs> yeah. Right? It comes with the price of, of each person being meaningful in their own way. Otherwise, it's not going to be meaningful. It's just going to be generic. Yeah. Right? That, that's the expense. That's the price if we want Judaism to be meaningful. That every person is going to be their own individual. There's going to be individuality. The, what's interesting is the individuality in Judaism, though, is not the external in how we behave. We all do the same mitzvahs. We follow the same Torah. The individuality in Judaism is how we experience it. Right. You know, the, regarding the Tanya and how the Tanya, Sharon was saying, well, break, why are we breaking it up again? And, it seems like the Tanya gives you a concept and then it says, oh, let's look at it from, uh, let's climb the ladder and look at it. Let's get down close and look at it. Let's poke it with a stick and look at it. Let's, let's uh, hold it and look at it. Let's, let, let's look at it a whole bunch of different ways and then they'll give you another concept. And let's look at this one up on a ladder. Let's look at this one up close. Right. And it's all, about, it's all about perspective. Where you're coming from at the time that you're looking at it will will either help you grow it or it will make you not not as interested in it. And the, and the Rebbe who wrote the Tanya gives you, always has many, many different ways of looking at it. Chapter after right. several, several methods in a chapter or whatever. It, and, and the truth is with so many options, if it's in the Tanya, you can't go wrong. <laughs> you know, you gotta pick the one that works best for you. But, but, but the, the bottom line is, we said that a, an action without passion is like a body without a soul. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because a mitzvah needs soul in it. It needs soul. It needs passion. Because although when we have the action, we're fulfilling our purpose, part of fulfilling our purpose, and we're going to talk about this more next week on 442, part of fulfilling our purpose is that the relationship is meaningful. Right. In other words, your spouse doesn't just want you to make them dinner. Your spouse wants you to want to make them dinner. Right. I, I, I've told you this story, I, I think, several times, but I'm going to say it again because I love it. When I was a dorm super, dormitory supervisor in Yeshiva several years ago, about uh, six years ago. I think, I don't know, how old am I? Um, <laughs> again, if it's not in a multiple of 18, I don't um, <laughs> So I was a dorm su dormitory supervisor for younger students. My friend and I were working together and I had the morning shift. 
make sure they were good in the morning and he had the evening shift and he was because he had the evening shift he was the, the more uh, disciplinarian and i was like the nice guy that was just the roles we fell into the respective roles we fell into good cup bad cup basically yeah <laughs> the entire yeshiva was going on a on a shabbaton a weekend getaway in new jersey we're all going to spend the whole shabbat together and he was going to be on duty and i was going to have the week off great my friend got sick got a cold or it wasn't anything too crazy but he wasn't able to go um so what i tried doing as a young foolish early 20s person <laughs> is okay avoid the principal because what happens if i bump into him <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna ask me to go I don't want to go I don't really want to say no either so avoid him and oh you never asked me to go right one of those situations I'm walking by him hours before we're supposed to go on the trip on Friday I'm walking by and I said okay don't ask don't ask don't ask he nods at me we walk by whoo score he turns around oh Josh Mendy's not feeling well. Can you come? I'm trapped. I said, if you want me to come, I will come. And he said something to me that still rings with me to this day. He says, I don't want you to come. I want you to want to come. Because this is the essence of, of Tanya. This is the essence of what Hasidus, what Hasidic teaching is trying to inspire in our relationship with God. God is saying, I want you to do a mitzvah. And if you don't want to do the mitzvah, I still want you to do it anyways. But I want you to want to want it. I want you to want it. Because that makes the relationship meaningful. In other words, I don't want it to just to be a body. It definitely can't be a, just a soul. Because just a soul floating in heaven isn't going to mean anything. If you're going to have just a body, just the action, you're doing your purpose, and that's it. But if you're going to actually care about the action, God is there in a much more revealed manner. Okay, I have a question for that, that answer that the guy gave. So I like the fact that he gave you a choice, and he gave you, he said to you, I want you to want to come. So he's treating you like an adult. But he was an what, educational genius. <laughs> yeah. But what was, um, why couldn't he just say, I want you to come and do a mitzvah and make, and, and, and make you feel valued to such a degree that he values what you do? Why does only you only have to answer to God, but you can't, you can't, he can't be a facilitator of your action and putting in the fire? That's, That's a good question. The young person, I don't know. Is, why the young, did, I, that's the route he chose. I don't know. Yeah. But you, young person who's learning and who uses somebody, they need to facilitate the actions. They need to facilitate the doing. They need to facilitate the growing. So he did ultimately facilitate that you went and gave you the decision and make it that you're the responsible person, but you're still young and you also got a lot. You know? Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. You know, especially with young children, you know, it's important for children to know you got to do the right thing, not just because it's meaningful, mm. but because it's right. Yeah. Because what if it's not meaningful? So de uh, definitely, definitely. And the, and the bottom it's line is get it done. We got to do the right thing. So, so if he said, if you, if he said, it just depends on who you were. So maybe he believed that you were much greater than you were that you didn't need him to say, I want you. That could be, that's, like, that's, that's, definitely, um, that's definitely a possibility. Definitely, yeah. it's, it's a good point. And honestly, I never thought about that. It's because a very good it, point. It does, every time you bring it up, that's something that kind of, um, that, that bugged you, that you had to do something that you didn't want to, and you did it, and Hashem's proud of you. Sorry, I'm just going. But, but it really resonated with you because obviously it, even to this day, it, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it has made an impact. Right. Definitely. The message definitely resonated. Yeah. And it was a good choice, but it's like so interesting how as you as a facilitator, 
If you want someone, put on the tefillin for me. Put it on for me. Hashem wants it too, but do it for me. Then you get the action. And then afterwards, he can do it for himself because he feels it. He knows it. He, and it make it special to him and give the energy so that he wants to right. do it. So I'll tell you, there, there was a fellow that I've, um, that I encountered this summer. Um, and I said, I said, hey, would you like to put on tefillin together? He says, he was an Israeli fellow. And he says, I haven't done it since my bar mitzvah. This guy was like in his 40s. He says, I haven't done it. I think he was maybe, late. yeah, he must've been in his 40s. He says, I haven't done it since my bar mitzvah. So I said, let's do it. He said, uh, he had some sort of remark, I forgot what it was, but basically he said, like, it's, it's not happening. At some point, um, Raleigh was, was talking with him, chatting with him. And Raleigh says, can you do it for me? He says, fine, I'll do it for you. Not doing it for God, doing it specifically for you. He did it. He did it. Yeah. He did the action. He fulfilled part of his role in the purpose of creation. But, but what if he actually did it for God too? What if he actually wanted it? But, but he will want it if he's doing it for someone and he will want it eventually if he works on it and works 100%, on it. 100%, 100%, 100%, granted. But what if he wanted it at that moment? Then it would so be God, God was there either way, right? Because he did God's will. But if he wanted to do God's will, so now the relationship with God is more meaningful. Because Now going back to our purpose in creation, why do we exist? To make a home for God, right? Yeah, and part of making a home for God doesn't just mean um, doesn't just mean pushing God into our door, but it means making Him feel welcome. So if I do a mitzvah, I'm pushing Him into my door. I'm fulfilling part of the purpose of creation. But if I if the mitzvah is meaningful, now God actually feels comfortable. You know, it's so, like it's like. You, you want to, you want to be invited. You want, you, you know, when you're, when you have a, a when you're a guest and someone's up, you want to be invited, but you also want to be comfortable, right? God wants to be invited to our world. He wants us to do the actions, but he wants us to be, he wants to be, he wants to be himself here. He doesn't want to feel like, you know, you never thought God was so sensitive. God really cares that much, but he does. So, Here's a hypothetical. Every Jew in the world does all the mitzvahs they're supposed to do, but they do them without passion. Does God send the Messiah or not? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I say no, he doesn't send the Messiah. Look, if, if I were to vote, I would vote yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think I, I think I would have to vote I think I would have to vote yes also because really the Jews have a contract with God right and, and I see this as like okay we are bound to God and you know our part of the contract is to uh, is to perform mitzvahs and uh, uh, right. you know if, if we perform mitzvahs, then God has to uphold his part of the contract. Right, right, agreed. And in other words, bottom line, we're, we're getting the job done. Even if it's not done with the passion that would elevate it to the point where it meant so much more. I mean, it, it, it's still, it's being done. It's, you know, it, it's getting that the, the job is done. That's the bottom line. Um, I, don't feel, I don't feel so bad this morning. Uh, I drank coffee too long. I had an appointment at 8.30. And uh, I wanted to say the Shema, my Shema before and Almidah. So I, I rushed through it in English. I usually do it there in Hebrew. It takes, a, it takes a half hour and I can do it in 10 minutes in English. So I rushed through it. Well, um, you got it done. You, I got it done. You, you got it done. <laughs> now, conversely, though, what if we didn't do any mitzvahs? We just were passionate. Right, we went up onto the uh, Himalayan mountains and meditated. 
or if it was Yom Kippur year round, <laughs> didn't eat, stayed in shul all day with our talit, with our kittel, and just, well, we might feel holy. But, but, but God doesn't want us to be holy. He wants us to be busy. I mean, he wants us to be holy too, but he wants <laughs> us to, you know, you need both. It's all, it boils down to that balance. Um, he wants us to be purposeful, not busy. God doesn't purposeful. give us work. Purposeful is a better, better word choice. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. We'd all be so boring if that, that took place, if we didn't do any actions, that he wouldn't send the Mashiach because uh, the Mashiach would be bored, too bored to do his work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it also, I mean, the Jewish continuity is because of action it's very hard to pass down a passion to somebody right yeah. an action you could pass down but doing the action with passion it's also something you could pass down uh -huh. yes yes exactly exactly you know what when, when when the youth see us engaging in you know the, there's a story where there was this uh, rabbi who was um, I don't know what the exact details of the story was. He was like either from the Warsaw Ghetto or from one of these, or might have been com uh, communist Russia, but he was from a very suppressed environment. And all of his children left the path of Judaism. And he was very broken about it. And he consulted the Lubavitcher Rebbe, or I don't know if it was all of his children, it might have been some of his children. I, I'm really killing the story here. Um, but he consulted the Lubavitcher. <laughs> I'll have to find the details for you. And he and he told the Rebbe in the conversation that he would always tell his kids in Yiddish, it's difficult being a Jew. And the Rebbe said, you need to change it. It's good, it's good to be a Jew. It's great to be a Jew. It's beautiful to be a Jew. So when we do it, not just because we have to, and it's so difficult, but now when we couple that action with passion, we're able to facilitate continuity. Positive, positive energy. Yeah. Continuity in our own lives and, and, and the world over. Our friends, our family, our offspring, every, everything. It, it, the impact is unimaginable. Thank you. Okay, well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>